<laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Having a Chat. My name is Tommy Kasher, and today I'm chatting with Shandor Earl. Here he is, the big fella. I'm sitting across from probably one of the best looking blokes I've ever laid eyes on in my life, recently retired. NRL winger who played with the Roosters, Panthers, Raiders and Storm. Shandor Earl, man, how you going? Oh man, I'm very good. Pleasure to be uh, chatting with you and I love the intro actually. That, was I spot on? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and and the, the tunes and the, I like it, it's good. Thanks man. So I kick off the podcast same way, what did you have for breakfast? What did I have for breakfast? Uh, I was in with the big fella Roman Brady at Airlocker today, seeing, seeing you. We had this big session, so I didn't have breakfast. So I went the uh, double coffee shot to get me by. Um, and sort of leaning towards that now with the new diet strategy I've been taking on for the last six months. Yeah, so obviously I follow you on socials. It seems – so is it like a carnivorous diet? Like yes. meat? Can you talk me through that? Where did it come from yeah. and what actually – what are you doing? Yeah, so – it was like mid to late season. I sort of had started to, you know, understand talks about the carnivore diet and it was getting around footy circles and whatnot. And I was quite intrigued. I've always been very into the performance side, nutrition, all that sort of stuff. And um, I've also struggled with a lot of injuries consistently, like always in pain, always injured. You know, you can say part of that might be bad luck, maybe genetics, but it was just happening too often. And when you live in somewhat chronic pain in a professional sporting environment, it's not fun. So, so you turn to food. And your yeah. diet to try and help yeah. that. The anti-inflammatory side, I was like, surely not. Surely this isn't the thing that can have that much of, uh, you know, an impact. And, yeah. Um, so I went, you know what? I'm going to go all in. I seeked uh, the professional help of a guy called Dominic Rapson, uh, Origin Nutrition's. He runs out of Bali. He'd done like Sunny Bill, Quade Cooper, and a few other footy players. So. He He's legit. Bit, yeah, he had, a bit of, <laughs> he had a bit of credibility. Um, so started this diet. Pretty crazy. I started it, and I'm the sort of guy that goes all in. Um, you know, at the Melbourne Storm, I wasn't a regular first grader behind two of the the, the goats, uh, Sully and Addo, but I um, started it on the Friday and I was like, right, I'm going all in. You've got to go through this uh, basically adaptation phase where you go from the typical athlete diet loaded with carbs and sugars to no carbs, element of fasting as well. And I was rattled, but I couldn't tell anyone because I can't be like, oh, you know, I was going to training, a small sprint or any sort of outburst or effort. I was just dying, like, so cool. So are they monitoring, like, what you're eating when you're at the storm? Like, Not are you really. wearing, like, the heart rate monitors and stuff at training? Could they tell that your energy levels were sort of down or different to what they'd been previously? It'd be really hard for them to gauge, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, uh, I guess I've built the reputation where I'm always consistently training hard and I'm yep. not really someone that's going to be a red flag for them. Nutrition, you do take that on yourself. Uh, okay. So there is an element of assistance and I'm sure some people need a little bit more than others. But yeah, for myself, I think um, I was in good hands. And at my age, I think they were like, you know, you can you can do what you need to do. So I started this and then the next week, um, Sully got injured and I was playing and I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? Like... I just I just lost four kilos because I was going through this adaptation phase and I was like, oh, nah, I'm I'm said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So it was very weird. Like I'm getting up on game day and I'm having like, um, you know, bacon and eggs and cheese and then like two steaks. I, I cut my steaks up and cooked them because I had like a barbecue and cooked all my own food at the hotel. We we're in the hub wow. in Sunshine Coast. Yeah, so I took my steaks and I was like, can't believe I'm eating two steaks and a bone broth before the game. Like this is so weird. Because um, what would a normal breakfast have been oh, for you before mate, that on crazy, game day? You know, like. Toast, avocado, baked beans, eggs, yeah, bacon, okay. you know, all that stuff. Carbs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a struggle. 
I still felt good, but I definitely, looking back, considering how I was, say, four to six weeks in, or the next time I played a game of footy, um, having, like, a solid amount of time under my belt with the diet, yep. I felt unbelievable, like my energy. I honestly never thought that you could function without carbs. I just did not think it could be true because the amount of carbohydrates I was eating, I was like, there's just no way. So, at the moment, what's a typical day on the plate look like for you? So I'll get up, um, depending on when I train, I can now, like there's no way I could ever train faster or function or move or live faster before. Like there's no way. If I didn't have breakfast, I was dying and I was not the person you want to be around, you know what I mean? So now I'll get up, generally have, a, I'd like to have a bulletproof coffee over a normal coffee. So that's just your um, shot of coffee. Ideally, you try and source some good beans and then it's MCT oil and grass-fed butter. Just blend that up and that's that that gets you going. It's it's different. So have you got like an espresso machine or whatever that you're making that with at home? I just get the good beans that are powdered yep. and then I put them in like the French press, so like oh, the yeah, okay. coffee plunger. Yeah, yep. put it in that for three minutes and then I put in the blender with the butter and the MCT oil. Far out. So yeah. butter in... Co- do- it tastes good. It's, yeah, good. Okay. it's got like this creamy texture. It's got a low-key like coconut vibes because MCT oil is a medium-chain triglycerides, which is in coconut oil. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of start off with that. If it's if I'm getting up and I'm not doing anything, then I'll have a breakfast. And your breakfast, that keto style or carnival style is mad. You just you get up, you have your eggs cooked in butter or ghee or whatever. Yeah, bacon, um, cheese, sausages. It's it's mad. So it's a big it's a big fat protein bomb. And then what's a standard lunch for you? Lunch generally, I'd stick to just two 250 gram Scotch fillets. Nice fatty cuts of meat, so I just bang them out. Yeah. That's pretty much generally lunch. And then dinner will be, um, I prefer, preferably I'll try and go slow cooked. So I'll chuck the slow cooker on at lunch. Slow cooked meat obviously allows you to enhance all the nutrients, um, and it's super easy. You can go chuck steak, you can go brisket. This meat costs nothing. You can chuck two kilos of meat in, and that'll get, give you two dinners for the next days. And you come home, and it's done, and it's just, it just smells great, and it's perfect. So that's, that's an ideal little day. So when you're going out for dinner and lunches and stuff, like mm. if you're going out for, for breakfast and there's toast on the plate, are you eating that or are you, are you this strict with it that like you won't touch it? Yeah, I won't touch it or I'll try not to order it, yeah. But there is a performance diet. So the performance diet I went on, it had, had an element of carbs. So I would, um, in Queensland, you can, they sell raw milk. So you can have raw milk straight from the cow. They don't sell it anywhere else. Yeah, okay. So I was on the raw milk. It's it's sold as like bath milk. Yeah, um, which is I'm sure is I'm sure is known. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the way around it. Yeah, okay. But it's great. So it's raw milk, un- unhomogenized, unpasteurized. Yeah. So it's nice. So I would have milk, honey, a good raw organic honey. Yeah. And some occasionally I would have some sourdough. So sometimes okay. I would have some sourdough. So I have like small elements of carbs. The other carbs I had was. Uh, Greek organic yogurt the night before the game. So the okay. theory there was probably a little bit of a carb load. It's so fascinating because so many, yeah. like, uh, I guess, elite athletes are going towards like a vegan or a vegetarian diet mm. and you're literally doing a 180, couldn't get further from it. Man, I can't imagine it, honestly. I can't imagine it. I will, I will say, uh, who did I see yesterday? No, two days ago, I was, I was in Sydney and I saw Anthony Minicello. Yep. Known for his diet. He's actually been doing... This sort of, it, he was just. Did you listen to his podcast? Yeah, yeah, great podcast. Yeah, great podcast. He's an animal, and his his nutrition and training style he's adopted years ago. I actually was there when he was when, oh, he, when was he was starting it. Yeah, when yeah, he was okay. deep rooted into it, he was coming back from his back injury. I started adopting some of these things, but probably a bit young, immature. Was like if it was t- probably too hard, then it was too hard, you know. So, but it's gone full circle. And I was talking to him. He was like, "There's one thing about the carnivore diet. You're at your optimal cholesterol." 
levels. So optimal cholesterol plays a bigger role than we all think because it's a it's a massive has a massive influence on shuttling around hormones. So it plays a huge role in the body, not just the typical things that we know about and not just a trigger for, oh, how's your heart? So you run at these optimal levels and he was explaining to me, you just need to make sure you have a look into things because running at optimal levels doesn't allow flexibility for drinking, doesn't allow flexibility for this food and that food. If you go full carnivore, you have to go full carnivore and you have to live that life. So he was just like, so it did spark my interest. Um, Some things I already thinking about before, which I probably want to run into a bit of a hybrid. And if you look at Mini, he focuses on what's the food cooked with. So good oils, good fats, you know, your, your, your organic butters, your coconut oils, whatever. Um, his meat sources are always cracker on point. The way he cooks it is on point. Um, and then the last couple of things is he only eats seasonal fruit and vegetables. And then there yeah, are. Yeah, I heard that part. I thought that, that was fascinating. Yeah, that is. But I've heard it a lot lately. And I've, that's really, I've been like, mm, that makes sense as well. Because if you think about, man, I'd, I'd love to dig deeper, but I'm pretty sure that the general food that we eat in Coles and Woolworths, yep. that go, that's that's frozen for however long they want. Yeah. And you've got no idea, right? That's like what I'm saying. Yeah. That's and you I'm could saying. leave it in your fridge. And how often do you get something out of your fridge and you're like, uh, I bought this two weeks ago, but I'll still eat it anyway. Yeah, yeah like- exactly, exactly. So the seasonal thing got me, uh, and then there are a handful of foods. Um, Paul Saladino, who's doc- the you know the carnivore doctor. Yeah. Uh, there are some foods, both from a vegetable, um, nut, and seed standpoint, that are toxic. So you want to avoid them. So I think I'll move into a hybrid model where I maintain some sort of fruit and vegetable. Um, I utilize minimal carbs because I've just I've gone away from that. And the one thing that got me was they spoke about this hybrid energy model. Like, why would you want to just rely on one energy source being carbohydrates? If you can convert to running off fuel for protein and fats and then utilize carbs when you need it, that's the ultimate hybrid energy model. So I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I want to adapt that. And I have. So that's that's where I'm at. Man, that's so fascinating. Do yeah. you, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, so I've only recently moved to Newey. I've only just started to get in the NRL kind of crowds. Mm. You are so educated on this topic. Yeah. Do you think the fact that people can ha- have their own voice through their socials, through their own podcasts, is helping share the stories and dispel the myth that footy players, oh, they don't fucking know what they're doing? And, like, you know, some, some people might look at your socials going, oh, you're just doing this carnivore diet. It's like, oh, just this big footy player just wants to eat mm. meat. There's so much more to it. And even when you were just talking about the stuff that you mixed in your coffee – you were like the gly- glycicerate or whatever it was. Like, <laughs> Medium you know your shit, man. Like, yeah. do you have you taken your time out just to research this? Just stuff I'm interested in. Now, I'm definitely not educated, and I suppose we'll touch on that when it comes to business. But if I am genuinely interested or passionate about it, I seem to soak it in. And nutrition's just always been that one thing. I mean, at the end of the day, whether you want to be an athlete or you just want to look good, you need to know your nutrition. So both of those things are high on my radar. So do you... Look at yeah. <laughs> no, I want to look good. So. Yeah, of course, <laughs> I was always interested. Do you treat yourself? Like, what's your guilty oh, yeah, pleasure? Hundred percent. What What do you go with if you need to? Like, you want to binge and you want to have a good night. What What are you going for? So, let's look at the boxing uh, preparation in context. Yep. I was like the last four weeks, no partying, no drinking. Um, you took it that seriously? Yeah, yeah. Oh, way super serious. Like, there's no. I make. I don't want to discredit the experience at all. It wasn't like I just cruised in. I was super serious, you know what I mean? I, I like fully dedicated training once, sometimes twice a day. Just really wanted to – I was – again, I was passionate about the sport, so I wanted to learn. And you do fall in love with boxing, to be honest. But, yeah, so I'd do that. 
and I'd be eating well, training that hard. Like when you're training, the thing is, if you commit to a high training level, you can you can't eat what you want. But geez, there's a lot of flexibility for you being able to eat what you want. In a sense, you know what I mean. So I got to the weekend. I was like, I'm not drinking. I'm not eating. You know what I'm gonna? I just I have these cravings. Whether that was from I don't know, all the work, all the calories burnt, um, just an itch that I need to scratch. I'd go to Woolworths and I'd just walk the aisles and just get like <laughs> chocolates, yep. cakes, cookies, ice cream. Okay, so sweet tooth. Yeah, and I'd just go mad, food coma, done, sweet, I'm done with it, back on track. So like, yeah, okay. I, I apply that to anything. Like if you look at the general population, just the 80-20 rule, like if 80% of the time you're eating healthy, call it, let's make up fake numbers, but they're around about, if you have 33 meals a week, and, you know, 28 of them are good. Honestly, who gives a shit? Yeah, and it's not the little bits here and there that you that you might be pushing you to be overweight or that bit unhealthy. Mm. It's if you're doing it consistently. Yeah, exactly. And if you're, the rest of your lifestyle is unhealthy. Like, I'm, I'm training all the time. There's never, there's never not going to be a part of my life. Now, you could fluctuate. Like, I could be training a little bit less and overeating, and you'll see some fluctuations in yeah. my body, but... Overall, like my lifestyle is to maintain a healthy training routine. I couple that with healthy eating habits. Mm. And if I want to deviate around that, I want to go out, I want to have a snack, I want to have a different meal. There's heaps of room for that because I'm consistent with my lifestyle routine. So before you fight up in Cairns, yeah. what, were you, what were your nerves like before you were walking into the ring? It was pretty crazy. There wasn't so much nerves. I, I actually knocked out the nerves um, – a week or so before. So the week before I had two sparring sessions on the, the early one in the week is a guy that I spar consistently on Tuesdays and it was a good sparring session. I felt really comfortable. I'd started to hone in and gone from learning boxing to just making a plan purely for the fight. So it was executed really well, felt sharp. Um, then I went out and sparred at Ellis Boxing Gym, which I've done a couple of times. Rocked up, sparred a Southpaw, which was a little bit annoying because I wasn't fighting a Southpaw, and then sparred this other guy, both professionals. Um, sparred this other guy, little tank, and he was just coming forward from the ground up, throwing big uh, hooks. Um, do you not get nervous and rattled no, and do, like you lose do. your game plan? Yeah, oh, yeah, you, you do. Like, what it does is it, it keeps you tentative. So you're like, you sort of just, and you notice it's, it's just like you're there, you're there, but you're not throwing, you're not volume, you're not moving like you practice to do. So yeah. it sort of just pauses you a bit. Because in practice, mm. you're not getting hit on the chin. Like that mm. first hit on, I'm assuming in the face, you're like, oh, fuck, we're on here. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually a good thing. Like you, to get hit early or just something, you're like, yo, I'm in the fight. Like it's, it's over. You can stop thinking about it. But I was just ready to execute the plan I had completely different ball game once you get in the ring like, yeah. literally when I, I remember when i used to play footy if you used to take a hit up once you get into that contact zone like a, a meter diameter around me that's all you could see it was like pure tunnel vision yeah okay. and i felt like in the fire within a three meter radius of me i couldn't it was just that there was nothing else going on just white noise yeah, like you couldn't exactly. hear anything no nah. and it's like i just know that you come out of that and you feel so comfortable there's a bit of pressure like no one wants to lose a fight like it's embarrassing yeah, of I course you know what i mean i didn't want to lose that fight and to justin hodges like where i'm from one of the most hated footy players i was like <laughs> yeah. i can't lose this um so once all that pressure's gone now i feel like i'm really looking forward to getting back to training sparring doing some stuff and just feeling comfortable and loose and i feel like you need that first experience to unlock all that so is boxing something you want to do in the future and continue with or just as a training regime for you definitely a training regime um 
you know, considering the progression I had in six weeks, I had a lot of a lot of people trying to egg me on to continue doing boxing. Um, but again, we touched on this before the podcast. I genuinely did. Um, you know, I'm not saying I was in this amazing position in rugby league. But I genuinely did retire because not only is there some aspirations off the field that I genuinely want to chase, some big shit, and try and accomplish that in my 30s, but, you know, I've, I've got a lot going on. So for me to, like, that that camp, I really just sacrificed two, two months of my life and 2021 because there wasn't a lot of other things I could do. I really sacrificed a lot of my time. So I just can't, I just can't go into that, you know. But I do want to fight. All-Stars fight night end of the year. I'll be keen for that because what an amazing promotion. Yeah, definitely. So, you touched on retiring. You're only 31. Mm. Your body's still clearly good enough to keep playing. Mm. You mentioned that you played earlier in the year. Was it two games you played this year? Yeah, only a couple of games, yeah. So, what is that like when you're sitting behind a couple of guys? Are you just, like, not grateful because you'd worked hard, right, mm. in your four years off, but is there a part of you that's just happy to be back in that environment or is there this competitive beast inside you that's like, fuck, man, I want to be playing and I'm good enough to play? Yeah, there is a, there is there's a lot of moving parts there. Um, first thing is, when I came to the Storm, I knew I was behind Josh Adokar and Suliasi Ivanovic. Never did I think, well, I shouldn't say that. Well, you backed yourself, right? Yeah. You I, wouldn't have gone there if you didn't think you could at I, some point. Yeah. If I'm honest, there's no doubt that I would have said to myself, I can get in front of these blokes. There's no doubt I would have told myself that. So there's that. But I went there to see how good a player I could be. I wanted to be immersed in the culture. I knew that if they were, you're going to have one last crack to see how good you could be, this was a place to do it. I wanted, to, I wanted the Craig Bellamy. I wanted the Melbourne Storm experience. So that's what I went there for. And I knew what came with that. I could have gone to other teams, could have had better opportunities just to play first grade. But all the things that I've taken from the Storm, would I, you know, I wouldn't have got that. Yeah, I would have played X amount of games and would have been cool to have some more highlights or whatever and have the career develop. But it's compared to what everything I got, the only thing that breaks me is I worked my ass off. I came back for that preseason in 2017. Mate, unbelievable. The fittest, fastest, strongest I've ever been. Just ridiculous. And then three weeks in, I tore my ACL, which hurt. And that really really dictated the rest of my experience like it kind of it really harbored me moving forward although I got back to a point and I was really happy it just that was that was my that was that was my chance (laughs) so you mentioned that you got the fittest you've ever been yeah and that's because just before you went to the storm you bought an f45 franchise in melbourne yeah, I mean that 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 was that's a tough year. Like I, I look here and um, you know, even today I was doing some coaching at um Airlocker, but I there was a point there where because we started the gym three sessions in the morning, at lunchtime, and two in the evening. I took every class and trained at least once, most times twice per day. Like that is insane. Yeah. So this is the back at your your fourth year and final year of your suspension. Yeah. Okay. So twenty seventeen. Okay. So for those four years, mm. you were overseas for. A portion of the time? Yeah, yeah. So the first thing I went to do uh, for my suspensions, I went to Thailand. Yeah. I'd been there before. There's this sort of training hotspot. Picture it just like a street and it's just gym, healthy food, gym, healthy food. It's crazy how this thing exists in Thailand is mental. Five minutes away from the beach. Um, So I moved there. I'd been there before and I was like, this would be a great place for me to just get away. Yeah, for sure. You know? So I went there and I'd always had these uh, interests um, and an open mind into business, a little bit entrepreneurial, wanted to do some stuff. So I got over there, I was staying in a hotel. Um, a mate of mine was staying there, actually living there as well. And I was like, I got this idea for a bit of a healthy food cafe. Um, and there was a space vacant out the front, literally 60 square meter shop. Um, and I was like, should we do it? 
and you know it costs not much to start a business over there but created the logo created the company documents with the lawyer there and before you know it we had this cafe did you do that yourself create logos like are you good on InDesign and Photoshop no 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 I couldn't didn't do it myself I just seeked the <laughs> yeah, assistance yeah. of whoever um, and then before you knew it we had this fully fledged cafe yeah it was called Muscle Bar, actually. It's pretty funny. Yep. But it serviced the area. It was smoothies. It was breakfast. It was wraps, lunches, dinners, all the rest of it. And I was in there just, you know, making smoothies eight to ten hours a day and just submersed in it. And it was just purely built on customer service and an idea that needed to be um, – like, there was a gap. There was a gap in, gap in the market. Yeah, there was a gap. And it was it was a Western influence on, A, the food, but, B, also – just the trust around what we were serving and what we were delivering. And lastly, customer service, like just genuinely giving a shit when I spoke to people and just creating a good vibe in there. So yeah, it was pretty crazy. So did starting that business allow you to get the capital and be in a position to know how to run business to then four years or three and a half or however many technically years later it was to then buy into the F45 franchise? Yeah, so I was at then in parallel with that, a gym opened down the road, a really big... Um, in Thailand? Yeah, group yep. training gym called Unit 27, Strength and Conditioning, and I was a big part of the uh, growth and building that, mainly as a coach and PT, never from an equity perspective, but okay. um, built that up. Then we opened a gym directly opposite the cafe called Primal Fitness. It was a gym gym, commercial, go in, do your own weights gym. Yep. Um, a year later, we sold the cafe and the gym to Unit 27. So yeah, we sold okay. all of it and, you know, made, made good money. You know, I remember there was a point there where I think my mum thought I was just living in a treehouse <laughs> on nothing. But yeah. these things are geared to make money. If you've been to Thailand or Bali, you understand that there's foreigners doing really well there. Yeah. So we sold that. I went on a trip around the world, came back and uh, opened a cafe called The Shack in the same area. Yeah. Um, that... That smashed it, um, absolutely killed it. And then I sold that to a Australian guy. And with that capital, then I was like, what am I going to do? I want to get back to Australia. I was always turned off F45 because I thought, well, I can do this myself. I don't need an F45. Like, I, I do all this programming already. I've built up a gym. Yeah, so when you were doing – Yeah. Yeah, what was your main role, I guess, at the gyms over there? Talk to me about the programming side and what, yeah, why well, that interests you so much. It was a group training gym that was just off its head. It was this open facility, massive. You could create all these classes that you want. There were people just there to train. It was just chaos. So it, it really did lay the platform for my – knowledge and understanding about creating programming, different exercises, and really just in that group training space. So it was awesome. But again, so I thought like, I'll just do my own thing. But by that point, by 2016, the brand of F45 was so strong. It was literally chuck the sign up and people will come in, you know, if you find the right location. Melbourne CBD was completely open, all the territories. And I thought this is the one in line with the fact that I knew that I wanted to try, try and play for the Melbourne Storm. I was like, let's just try and make all the stars align. So use that capital to invest. And between me showing my interest in the territory in Melbourne CBD, Little Collins Street, to me finding a space to sign in the lease and the franchise docs, we're talking like four to six weeks. It was crazy. But yeah. Man, normally <laughs> business stuff doesn't go down that quick. Yeah, hey? I know. So what made you want to go to Melbourne? Was it purely the fact that because you're I from Sydney, around, yeah? fully planned around the Melbourne Storm, and you just put all your fucking eggs in that basket. Balls on the line, yep. like this is going to work out for me. Yeah, I remember making uh, my girlfriend, my ex girlfriend at the time. She had she influenced me in a lot of good ways, and one of them was um, creating a vision board. So it was a purple yep. purple piece of cardboard, and it's it can seem silly, but it's not. I tell you when it's not when you get when you're 12, 18 months down the line, you look at it and you go, holy shit. 
Like, you just did everything you said you were going to do. So it was like, get a contract for the Melbourne Storm. It was open F45. It was get to 250 members. It was all this stuff. And it was all it was all there. And I just was like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So with the experience you had from the gyms over in Thailand, when you got to F45, was it... An easy process getting it no, started and doing no the pro- <laughs> doing the programming no harder way. than you thought, or were you expecting it to be a shit fight at the start? Oh, I don't know what I expected to be honest, but it's like the two things I remember was council approvals, so working on your DAs. Like I did not know the intricacies and how long that stuff takes, so that really threw out the timelines. And then working on the construction, so we'd had a fair fit out. Um, I negotiated a cracker lease, which is great, but. Um, so I had the contribution. I had the means to be able to facilitate the fit out, but it was a big job. And working with builders, like oh, big, big lessons, big learning curve, because if you don't know what's going on, the price between what it should cost and what it ends up costing is like night and day. So that was a bit of a unfortunate experience, but just working around all that and trying to make it work. But yeah, you can be taken for a ride in that sense. So those were the two most difficult things that I didn't know anything about. So how much has that shaped your business experience going forward? Yeah, a lot. I mean, I haven't had to deal with that again in terms of a fit out, but these things you you just you just learn, and everything I've done, I've learned on the fly, practically. So, do you think that's a good thing? Yeah, I do think it's a good thing. Of course, if I had my time, if you could forecast what you're going to do, but I can't look back with too much regret because at the end of the day, I said my dream was to become an NRL player. So, not a lot of things can run parallel to becoming an NRL player. At for least, sure, you know what I mean. So, it's all encompassing. So, for me to say, geez, I would have loved to have done some more research or some more study on business this and that it's kind of like silly to think that that was doable so now we're sitting right here at airlocker in newcastle Mm. so what's your involvement with airlocker now at the moment yeah well i love i love the brand Uh, i met roman uh had a discussion probably like a year and a half ago um it was altitude it was training it was life values aspirations and you know you know roman he's yeah. such, a, such a great guy easy to vibe with and um good which, networker too man you know he, know, he knows everyone man. hey and the you know the best quote that i came across probably this year or last year was your network is your net worth so yeah tr- i thought that was great that's good yeah that's I, real I, good. I felt the same way when <laughs> i heard it might have even come from him <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't put it past him yeah but um look it's something that is on my radar um I think when we talk about, you know, I had an epiphany, which I thought was, was pretty funny. It was last year and I was, my, my train of thought, which is a double-edged sword, I think can be really positive, but also detrimental is I have this belief that I can do anything anywhere. So when you have those beliefs, you're like, you're kind of always thinking, what, what, I'm, what I'm doing, is it big enough? Is it, is it what I really want to be doing? Is it, is it enough? Should I be doing this? Could I be there? Could I be here? You know. So Are you ever satisfied with what you're doing? That's what I'm saying. So, But at the flip side, it keeps you super hungry and driven to chase whatever the fuck you want. So, um, yeah, I got to that point where I had this epiphany and I was like, you know what, is the fitness industry really going to be that thing? Is that, is, that, is that where I end up? Like, could be doing anything. Is that, and I... And I came here and I fell in love with the the training and the experience and I was like you know what how am I who am I to discredit all the skills I've picked up in this space like this is what I know about this is what I'm passionate about (laughs) (laughs) this is what I'm passionate about um and I was just like you know you know what this is this is it this is this is what I want to do I want to dedicate the next chunk of my 30s to chasing something big so in the fitness space uh air locker really interests me and you know we might be touching base in a podcast later this year but i seriously would like to get involved in the company and you know i've got a few things going on that i'm sure we'll touch on um but ultimately 
I've got a uh, lot of confidence in the product and a lot of confidence in that direction. But all in all, um, I guess the summary to come out of that is the fitness space is something that I want to dive into and I think that I could do something big in. Well, you've clearly got a passion for it and being involved in the class this morning that you ran and were training, like you definitely know what you're doing. So clearly, if you're running the programs Mm. and today was an example of you putting the program into place and training, you know what you're doing from a training perspective because you've been in that elite environment. Mm. You command the space really well and just like Roman... You're yelling, you're high-fiving, like you're giving everyone a vibe. And mm. if that's what you're passionate about and you're good at it and you can make a career or a business out of it, then fucking why not, yeah, man? man? 100%, 100%. So, Four Point Collectibles, man. Tell me about that and where it started. Very cool. I'm so glad... Um, no, I'll rephrase that. I'm not so glad about Corona because I literally hate it. But there's a lot of good things that came from last year. So many business savvy yes. people, man, were able to figure out something and yeah. you know use that creative energy in a really positive way. And you know what it was? There was a there was a time there where people had a choice to make. It was like, am I going to utilize this time to do something? Life was just at a slower pace. You know, I was in Melbourne and it was like you could go anywhere, anytime, do anything. You had no major commitments like you did before. So there was this opportunity to do something. So Four Point Collectibles in particular, Gary V originally inspired me about trading cards and he was more talking about the flipping of cards and stuff, which didn't totally interest me. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be have enough time to be in the flipping game, but the sports card and the investment strategy and the narrative around it, I was like, this is quite interesting. And then uh, another guy, mate of mine, um, Isaac John from YKTR, he started jumping on and was like starting to make some noise. So there's a thing called box breaks. Okay, so what happens is, You've got all these boxes. They're super expensive. Let's call it um, a four-box break. These boxes could be worth totally up to like three, four, five grand, whatever. Yeah. Um, on okay. The, on the secondary market. So it's a box with trading cards uh, yeah, in them? Yeah, basketball cards in particular. That's yeah. what that's what sparked our interest. Okay. So you buy a spot, you get given a team. There's 30 NBA teams, so there's 30 spots. Whatever team you get, any cards that come out for that break, and these breaks are done like on a live stream. It's like, hey, here's the cards, blah, 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 a bit of chat, whatever. Any cards that come out from that break, you keep that are from your team. Okay. So it's quite a big thing in the hobby or in that market. So we got into this. We're jumping on people's pages, uh, in particular four of us boys, me, Kenny Bromwich, Jerome Hughes, and Ryan Pappenhausen. And we were blowing people's pages up. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what influence on the internet coupled does. So we were like, you know what? We could do this ourselves. And the boys were like, yeah, yeah, keen. Because rugby league players in general, there is – okay, maybe they're not all armed with that entrepreneurial mindset, but they've all got money. They want to do stuff. Yep. They know that they can leverage off their influence. So that they're all quite keen and even more so now, like they're very keen to jump into something, be smart, invest, get involved in a business. And I knew how to do it. So we were like, let's do it. So then, okay. So you guys now do that yourselves. Mm-hmm. You get the yes. break. Okay. So break it down for me. Go a step back from the four... Box breaks, yeah. four box breaks? Yeah, well, box breaks, but it, it, it could have any amount of boxes. Okay, so why do you think this is so popular? Where's the trading card thing? Why is that such a, a popular thing at the moment? So sports cards, there's a couple of different reasons. A, because they're worth money. So you could buy a box that has, okay, this box could be worth $600 and a certain card of a certain player, whether it's, the shiny colour it's got or an autograph or whatever or a rarity of, of a number uh, on the secondary market could be worth 10000 But you've just bought that box for 600 Exactly. So that's obviously going to get people interested. The fact that you can make money off something, small gambling element to it as well. Like, yeah. You know, so there's, there's that. But it's almost not 
the same as going to the fucking no, tab. Definitely not. Do you know what I mean? It's more fun and definitely not. And there's a lot more to it. The second uh, narrative, which is one that intrigues me the most, and it's even more prevalent now, is sports cards have now become stock the stock market and trading for athletes, especially the NBA. So if you look yeah. at there's no there's no there's no opportunity to trade in a player's stocks it just doesn't exist but yeah, the sports card market is it instead of a digital currency it's a physical item so if you know ah. if you if you're now you're in the podcast world yeah. you've just started out you've got a you've got a sports card like a, a trading card and i believe you're going to be a gun i'm going to buy this when you've started out for a small amount of money you might go and land a big deal your next three uh People that you have on the podcast shoot you up. Yep. It's like, hey, who's this guy? All of a sudden, your sports card's gone up 350%. Yeah, okay. It's like, holy shit. So that's what the sports card market is now for athletes. So I love that. I love that model. I think that we can now take sports cards into any sport and now you're trading commodities for the athlete on how good they are, what influence they have, and it's just sick. It's so cool. Okay, so... A stupid question for someone that doesn't know anything about cars. Yes. So the four, so the boxes. Yeah. Where are they coming from? Who's supplying them? How do you get them? How do you guys get them for people to bid on or to buy? Yeah. So it's tough. Um, the guys who have deep inroads in the market, uh, they have bricks and mortar. So that's a necessity to be able to get. Uh, consignment from Panini, which are the main guys that distribute and create these cards. Uh, so initially, we just had to hustle. We went online. Um, you'd go on eBay. We'd buy boxes and we'd try and get them for a certain price point, and then we would sell them for close to what it would retail. So that's where you make your margins. Okay, so you buy them online. Yep. You then have a certain amount that you do a live stream. And people bid for them and then you open up the box online and you go, these are your cards that you've just got and someone could get a rare fucking Jordan yeah. card from 95 or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, well, basically, yeah, whatever. But yeah, and it's cool and it's the whole live stream experience and you got the boys on there. When we were in the hub, you had like had like 10 people in a room. Everyone got into it, Munster, Brandon Smith, all these guys and we'd be all there and we'd be opening and be like, oh my God. And that's the thing that- We've pulled 60K cards. Are you serious? Yeah, in in the hub we had we pulled like this. Um, his his name's Jar Morant. Um, it's a rookie patch autograph card. The guy drove from Newcastle the next night. He was his kid. Um, he came and picked it up and sold it to a guy in the US for sixty k. So that was one of our Fuck. biggest pulls. So like crazy shit. <laughs> and as you were mentioning before, the NRL players have a following. They've got money. Do you think they're so aware now of that? You guys can just turn on a any you know Munster or Pappenhausen, whoever it is, starts a live video, whether it's they're out on a night out or they're in the training sheds, mm. and they're bringing people into this environment and how that voyeur element, because everyone just wants to be with the lads. Do you reckon mm. that's a huge part of the guys realising the value that they have mm. in their brand? Yeah, I think they're, they're on their way, certainly. I mean, I know that... Uh, I was I probably influenced a lot of the boys at the storm just to be thinking about like what can they do with their personal brand what can they be doing with business you know like I was just so interested in that stuff and talking about it all the time and as I said boys are genuinely keen on that topic and understanding they can leverage off not only themselves but again they got money like let's do some stuff let's create some stuff you know what I mean so taking a bit of a detour here from business to being leveraged off your personal brand can we touch on the Daily Mail article that yeah. they wrote when you were up in Byron? Yeah, how good. How do you 
were you just irritated that it was just a shit article that meant nothing? Or like, do you get cut up by that and you're like, why are you doing this to me? I'm just a bloke enjoying my time with my mates, having a bit of banter. Nah. Like, do you take it personally or are nah, you just no like, way. oh, no, nah, I would never take it personally. But I'm, I'm like very realistic. And mate, everything I've been through, there's not much you could yeah, say. Okay. So I, I understand the game though. Like, I'll look at it for the reality of what it is. The Daily Mail. They specifically make their earn off these crazy articles, yeah, which are complete shit. Exactly, clickbait. So I get it. That's 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 their business. That's what they're trying to do. That's what they're trying to achieve. So not going to be bitter. I get it. I understand the game. Whatever. What I thought was funny and worth a call out, which I'm not big on call outs, but I'm also big on like have a voice, say what you want, be yourself, show your true character, have a personality. So they they did this post that night, and it was like. Just really cool article. I was like, oh, wow, this is weird. Like, Shandor Earl and Cameron Munster, like, he's wearing the medal. They, they were seeing, like, how cool, looking good, like, having a good time. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Next morning I woke up, the article had completely changed. So the lad who wrote it, obviously the editorial came in over the top and changed it to, like, washed up footy player, has to pick up chicks with Cameron <laughs> Munster. I was like, what? what are, you, are you sweet? So I was like, no way, I'm calling this shit out. And it ended up spinning in my favour because everyone was like, hey, you don't need the medal and whatever and it ended up being a funny like a real funny thing but so ultimately something like that where you can have some fun bring the people in for some interaction and call out what is actually bullshit uh, i think that's i think it's worthwhile yeah right so that's just water off a duck's back for you that doesn't okay all right switch back to business tell me about vintage mode so where'd the idea for that come from yeah um so basically I'd always, I'm, I'm sort of interested in that vintage clothing. Um, I'm very, again, I was getting very interested in the e-commerce model off the back of Four Point and just putting together, understanding that, because I fell in love with content, like I'm obsessed with content and I didn't really know that I had the creativity around content and what's cool and what's not until I dived deep into Four Point. Teamed up with a guy called uh, Philip Craparotta, Phantom Craft Creative, who's now co-owner with Vintage Mode. And we just started designing all this cool shit, all these videos, all these graphics, and Four Point was just this content machine. And I was like, this is so cool. You couple that with influence and the right business model, um, and you've got you've got something. I, was, I sort of say, like, I, I, I feel like I could sell this hand sanitizer <laughs> because, like, you just get the good content, um, you, you couple it with someone of a position of influence, and all of a sudden you've got this brand that people want to buy. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that that's... The vintage stuff, I came across a business model where I knew it was actually through the storm. Uh, I knew there was a company that were doing screen printing and shirts. So I said to them, I said, look, I got this idea. Do you have a shirt that could facilitate this? And I wanted to create a vintage look um, and I wanted to build this business. And he said, he showed me the options. I was like, you know what? That one might work. That one might work. Is it, is it my dream shirt? No. Am I, we're, we're currently creating that dream shirt in China, but that's a progression that, yep. that comes with, you got to earn the right. To yes. You got to be in the game for a while. Exactly. My business model's made to order. So I don't hold any stock. I don't hold any risk. It was from a financial perspective, I could get started straight away, which is cracker. It's unbelievable. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Cause it's, that's business it, models don't like that don't exist. And that's why e-commerce is so big. You want a product that people can buy online 24-7, 365 and not holding stock because that's where you And that's you get the hard trouble. thing about the fashion game. Yep. If you hold a lot of stock and then you hold a lot of risk. So to, we put those two things together and I was like, oh, this is going to work. This is crazy. Plus the designs um, and being, a bit, being able to be on trend, I just knew that we were going to kill it. So you want to go? No, you go. <laughs> so um, 
what happened was we we're coming up to the premiership and I was like, you know what, this is let's start with this. So we designed this champion Storm Champions tee. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's, yeah, yeah, on the yep, it's unbelievable. Like it looks so cool. We never got to sell it because of licensing issues. Uh, ISC had the Storm license, right? Okay, I learned a lot from that experience because ultimately they've got all these retail orders. Yeah, you'll see any name one team that wins the Super Bowl, the whatever. It's the champions, boring as like yeah, no, it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but they had all these orders and people are ringing up saying, oh, we want to cancel. We want that shirt. People are asking for that shirt. Like, this is bullshit. So I get it. I understand. Like, what that, that would have caused some huge dramas. And uh, we worked through that. But what happened was Mad Monday, all post-match content, yep. everyone was wearing the shirt. So the Instagram went overnight from like – Thousand followers to seven or eight thousand. So you printed the shirt, even though you couldn't sell it. I printed the shirt before the grand final. Yeah, okay. You know, I thought we were going to win. <laughs> yeah, um, but I did think we'd be able to sell it off the back of it. Yeah, I didn't okay, think right. about that. So yeah. I was like, whatever. And we did it. We did a few design things yeah. that I thought it would be fine, but I didn't understand the licensing around already having retail orders, and it would yeah. cause a big drama. But it didn't matter. Because it was the ultimate marketing play. Yeah. It was like, what is this shirt? It's the greatest thing ever. Where can I get it? Oh, Vintage Mode created it. Yeah. So post that, we started our drops. We wanted to keep it exclusive. We wanted to make sure there wasn't just a million of these shirts around. So all our drops are one-offs, sometimes limited to a certain print run, sometimes limited to four to six hours. Um, And we try to drop on trend. We try to drop what people want. And they're just awesome designs with awesome content and oversized vintage sort of um, feel and that, that reclaimed vintage model. And, mate, it's been unbelievable. It's, it's killed it and it's honestly so fun. So how do you figure out what to put in your next drop? Is that you and your business partner sitting down going, I think this could work, yeah. I think that could work. Have you brought things and he's like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. Yeah. Or do you kind of just drop what you want? So we, so let's let's have a look. Um, post post on, we're like, what's next? We, ha- this, we have to leverage off this. This is the greatest thing ever. I'm in Byron. Champ Cheese emerges. Yeah. I filmed that video of, um, you know, Brandon Smith and yeah. that popped off and we're like, we got to do this. So the Champ Cheese shirt went absolutely <laughs> mental. Yeah. So that was great. Um, the next thing. Didn't we, have any licensing issues with uh, Brandon's name. No, we did You know, we organized a deal with Brandon, but you got you to be strategic around your yeah, okay. um, design stuff. Uh, we did a... We did a Lakers. We did a Lakers one around the same time. With what we did there was we paired the design with the Storm one and just transferred it into Lakers. Yep. Um, so there was that recognition, but it was also good timing. We just did a Super Bowl drop, which did really well. Yep. Um, the Tom Brady stuff yeah, that was really cool. We did Mike Tyson when he came back for a fight? So stuff like that. You know, we can we try and we can premeditate a lot of our drops around what's going to happen or what's happening. Um, we got some really cool stuff coming up, and then we have some big plans of vintage mode, which I'm sort of really excited about, which is really cool. So we got to keep on the old vintage mode Instagram to keep up with the updates. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely stay tuned for the drops, but um, we want to create a pretty. Exclusive um, membership, which allows access to these drops. We also want to pivot into a little bit more of a foundation of fashion. So we want to allow and go into the space of creating vintage mode clothing. Um, hence, why I've now decided to make the move and scale up and go to China to source the right manufacturer to create what I believe is the perfect vintage oversized shirt um, so I'm doing that as we speak Chinese New Year which is Spanner in the works <laughs> a lesson for everyone who wants to get involved in clothing it's so cool man that you're passionate about finding the exact right fit mm. and you're this real like I guess visionary that you know what you want mm. and you're going to find it you're not like 
trying to make shortcuts and go, how can I make the most money? You're like, no, I want to do this to make it, to make what I want yeah, that I, want I know will. Cool. Yeah, exactly. I just want it to be cool. Like I, all the graphics, all the content we do, it's just cool. Like, you know, and I want the, and it, a lot of it is like, what do I want? Like, yep. this, is the sh- this is the shirt I want. I love this shirt. I love this size. This is how I want it to feel. And like, if you like it, sweet. Like, of course, I want to, with business, I want to appeal to a certain market. But totally. there's an element of like, I think it's cool. So if you don't, then it's like too bad. But like, <laughs> jump, jump on board. If I influence you and you think it's cool, then then sweet. You know, the other day I bought, and I want to do stuff like this as well. I want to drop like some random items. So the other day I got it from ASOS actually, but I bought like um, these long long sleeved retro oversized like velvet shirts. Yeah. And silk and like they're fucking sick. No <laughs> yeah. one's no not many people are going to wear them. You know, yeah. or at least go, hey, I want that. I chucked it off on Instagram and everyone was losing it. They were like. How cool is this? Now, whether they would actually wear it, like it takes a bit of guts to be like that 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 random person, which I don't mind. I kind of like being bit different. of a peacock. Yeah, a bit different. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But like, I'll do that. Like, just chuck out this this random vintage mode party shirt or just something that like um, pushes a trend or like a velvet shirt during winter or something cool. So just little things like that. And really, what it's about is you need those certain moments at the right times to just spike engagement, and that's one of the key things. Man, that's really cool. I'm really looking forward to following the vintage mode bandwagon, man, and see where we end up. So towards the end, man, I just want to – what does a normal day look like for you now as a 31-year-old NRL retiree? What's a day look like? It's honestly like if we did this week after week, it would be so different. And what I would love to – I really want to get control of my life. It's just – and I do thrive in the chaos. It is pure chaos. If I could explain my life, it's just chaos. But I'm obsessed with like planning and structure and calendars, but I don't do it. Really? Yeah, but I'm obsessed with it. Now, has that come from your footy background? Like- no, I just, I just, lo- I love, I love organisation, and I love like what it means because you can be so productive and you know where everything's going on. Because when you're not like that, what does it mean? It means stress. Yeah, okay. I don't like stress, but I thrive. I sort of thrive in the chaos, and the only reason I get by is because I just get shit done. So I just do stuff. You know, I don't talk about it. I just do it, and I get enough things done. But with a bit more organisation and structure. Like even the use of a just fully fledged calendar, like this is where I'm going to be. This is what I need to do. That's my next direction. The boxing was a spanner in the works. Yeah, okay. Boxing. This is what you're doing. Build everything around that. So, so right yeah. now at the moment, it's not like Monday, Tuesday's vintage mode. Nah. Wednesday, Thursday's nah, four point collective. Be, I could wake up and I'll be talking for an hour about content, and then like the design of this and that, and then you know four points got a break. So it's like, oh, 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 what what are we going to do? What graphic are we going to do? And I do a lot of manual work, which is not which is a detriment to my productivity. So okay. the one thing about me as a businessman or involved in business is it's a lot, it rests a lot on me and the manual labor. So like there's a lot of things that I do that take a lot of time that are probably not necessary. And that's the progression of me in business, you know? What's uh, an example of that? So like you got F45, like I'm the owner. And this, this also is a point of leadership, like how – how well do you manage people? How yeah, totally. well do you have you put things in place? But with F45, I'm like, I'm constantly talking about, because we we're generating leads. So I'm doing the marketing, I'm doing the content, I'm paying bills every day. Like I'm doing all that manual stuff. And then it's like working with the coaches or even being in there and coaching. Then vintage mode, it's like, we're constantly talking about designs and content that we're going to do. I'm lucky that, so that's, that's one business where the business partner offers huge value because he's also can hold a massive position. He's labour-intensive, so he can do a lot of stuff. Four-point, for footy players, basically, 
mate, you know what I mean? It's it's it's, a, it's hard to to get you get, all together. Yeah, no the time. balance of contribution. So, yep. um, I take a lot of the load in the in the I guess the space of like operations. So you have got to set everything up. You got to make sure where we've got some guidelines and direction for the next thing. And then there's like the, the space that we're going into. We just signed a lease for a space, which yep. would be like four point headquarters. Cause we want to move into entertainment and we also, we're going to have a big um, impact in the NRL space. So we want to make NRL cards cool, which I think is pretty awesome. Like the opportunity to have NRL players that are interested in cards. So we're going to, try and make some big waves in that space but because that's not really a thing at the moment is it it's it's a thing okay but we want to appeal to a different demographic right now you've got the nostalgic older guys and the kids who are ripping packets from servos we want that middle uh demographic the 18 to 20 to 30 year olds to come in and buy into why we're interested in sports cards which is the investment strategy and hey this is this is your player his card is the thing like get his rookie card how cool is that you know so shit like that yeah the same crowd that you've got with your NBA stuff, but yeah, just yeah. kind of siphoning exactly. that across into what you guys are doing. Exactly. And four point, we want to go into, there's a thing, we've got a group, WhatsApp group called the Card Gang. So it's like <laughs> yeah. 13 NRL players, a couple of All Blacks in there. We just, we just love cards. So there's, there's a high, high position of influence that we need to utilise. Um, we want to create like the four point clubhouse. So we want to sit down twice a week, break cards, talk shit, have a beer and really go down that entertainment route and then utilise that as like a bit of an advertising platform. Yeah, we'll break and we'll have like a bit of a club membership. The um, the subscription model space really interests me at the moment with both Vintage Mode and Four Points. So creating a membership yep. that offers huge value but also, you know, maybe that's the only way you can get a shirt. Maybe that's the only way you can break with us. Yep. That's, oh, that's the sort of stuff I'm looking at. And I guess that helps you as a business owner, right? Having that constant stream of income coming yeah, in. It does. It does. It's it's that, and then it's just like, it's cool. I just think it's, it's exclusive. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I mean, the subscription mode's working for OnlyFans, so why can't it work for <laughs> vintage mode, man? Exactly. So if you can, and if you can give people enough value, and it's been like, well, it's a no-brainer. Like if you, we've built a reputation. If you love our shirts, and there's a little bit of a thing there, you know, like we push the boundaries on IP and licensing. So like, yeah. I want to do this whole. Let's go underground. Let's create this vintage mode revolution, and it's like. It's like Fight Club, you know? You can be a part of Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. You get your shirt and that's it. It's like, just build this whole cool thing. Like, imagine the – you know, you love content. Imagine the content around that. And, like, literally, you like our shirts for a small – for, like, a – for literally no cost, like – get on board, be a part of the vintage mode gang, like yep. underground fight club revolution, whatever you want to call it. And you're the only one that has access to the shirts. It's a no brainer. So I kind of like that, that, um, that model. That's the stuff I'm looking at. Man, this is so cool. Like how passionate you are about all these businesses. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so like keen to just watch you and follow where you go. Cause you clearly know what you're doing and you know how to run businesses. Oh, I don't know about that. And you, nah, man, <laughs> like you're doing really cool shit. So um, finally, the last question I ask everyone, I normally give them prep, but I haven't given you any prep here. Right, so here we go. I ask everyone to make, a big call I've got one for you it's pretty simple but it's something that I constantly get as, as I told you I love a snack yep. I love my chocolate yeah okay why eat chocolate in the fridge? It's the only way to eat it. I don't oh, care. Don't, don't out of the fridge. I don't care what people say. <laughs> out of the fridge. You don't 100%. reckon. Man, I reckon when you put it in the fridge, then it tastes like the fridge. It just tastes yeah, cold. There is, yeah, that has been said and I do get it. But <laughs> caramel, I'm a big caramel fan. Caramel yeah, out okay. of the fridge, shut the gates. It's the best. Man, Shandorel, <laughs> thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate you having a chat today. And um. I can't, I can't encourage everyone enough to follow your journey and hopefully see where you end up and uh, with Vintage Mode, Four Point Collective and everything else you got going on. But yeah, Shandor L, thanks so much for having a chat. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it.